If you would take your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John. We've been going through the, the Gospel of John for the last few months or so, and we've made it to, to chapter number 4. You know, when you, when you stop and think about, you think about life, you look around and you think about the folks that are here in, in our congregation together, the, the truth is, is that all of us have gone through different things in our life, haven't we? And, and all of us are going through different things even, even today. None of us, no, no two of us, are even are the same. I mean, my wife and I, we live in the same house. We are raising the same children, and a lot of our schedules are the same, and we go through a lot of the same things, but even the two of us have different things that we're facing in life, different struggles and trials that we're going through. We even have different times of joy and rejoicing and, and periods of excitement in our life. You know, it's amazing how, how different we are. And, and my friend, I don't know where you are today in life. Maybe you're on a mountain peak where just life is great and there's just great joy in your life. Or maybe you feel like you're in some kind of a valley where there's just struggles and trials in life. You know, we've all come from different backgrounds as well. Some of us, uh, some of you are from Anderson. You grew up here. This community has been your home. Um, you know, others have moved into the area. You grew up somewhere else. And many in here grew up in Christian homes. And others of us have not grown up in Christian homes. And we've had a different heritage, different background. We have different influences in our life. Different things that help make us who we are today. I mean, the reality is no two of us are the same. Any shape, size, any way you look at it, we're, we're all different. But here's the amazing truth. God loves each one of us. Right where we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've been through in our life, God loves each one of us. Isn't that amazing to think about? As we come to the, the Gospel of John, we see many different conversations, conversations with individuals that the Lord Jesus Christ had. And in chapter 3, we saw the conversation at night with, with Nicodemus, this Pharisee. And, and Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. As we come to chapter number four, we're going to see Jesus talk with a, a Samaritan woman. And he doesn't tell her that she needs to be born again, but he is going to offer her, offer her a gift. And just in these two individuals, we see such a great contrast. He, Nicodemus was a man. The Samaritan was a woman. He was a Jew a pure Jew, and she was a Samaritan. He was a ruler, and she would be considered from the text that we see an outcast. He was considered by those around him a moral man, and she was considered an immoral lady. He came at night to Jesus, but Jesus comes to her during the day. He was wealthy, and she seems to have been down and out. These two people were were so different, but their need was exactly the same. They needed Christ. In John chapter 4, we see that Jesus was beginning to gain popularity, and the crowds were coming to him. Look with me at verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized, notice there's more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, 
but his disciples. Now, the Pharisees did not like John at all. They did not like John the Baptist. They did not like his ministry. And, and you'll see as we go through the Gospel of John that they really come against him. And, and, and no doubt, if they did not like John and his ministry, they were not going to like Jesus and what he was doing and the ministry that he had here. But over this passage of Scripture, we're going to find that Jesus leaves where he is and the ministry that he's doing there in that place. And the Bible tells us that he goes through Samaria. And there's four truths that we can learn from this interaction that Jesus is going to have with this lady at the well. The first thing I want you to see in verses 1 through 7 is that God has divine appointments. God has divine appointments. Why did Jesus leave? That's a good question. Why did he, he was obviously had a fruitful ministry and things were going well there and, and, and um, the, his disciples were baptizing and and the Bible is, makes it very clear and emphasizes that Christ himself did not baptize, maybe because people uh, in that time would feel superior to others that uh, were baptized by somebody else because, you know, Jesus himself baptized me. You didn't get baptized by Jesus, but Jesus himself baptized me. And so therefore, spiritually, religiously, I'm a, I'm a little ahead of you. Maybe that's why Christ didn't baptize. He, it doesn't tell us why, but it very clearly tells us that he didn't baptize. But we see that, that Jesus is going to leave. He leaves in verse 3. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Why did Jesus leave? Can I submit to you today that he did not leave because he was afraid of the, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, were going, they are going to turn against him. They were going to turn against him. But the thing that I know is that, listen, it was not his time yet to be killed. And so he was not afraid that they were going to come and, and take his, his life. He may have left because the Pharisees were going to try to discredit him and discredit his ministry. I don't know, but we do know that he left because we see here that he had an appointment in Samaria. Look with me, verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. I, I don't know why he left Judea and why he was heading back to Galilee, but there is something that we know very clearly. There was some reason that he had to go to Samaria. And as we read through the passage of Scripture, we'll find this divine appointment with this lady there at the well. He is purposeful in his actions. Jesus didn't just wake up and say, well, you know, it's getting a little rowdy around here. And so, uh, you know, they're starting to persecute us. They're starting to, you know, maybe we should just move on and find another place to do ministry. No, the, Christ is always very purposeful as you go through um, his ministry and his life. And as you see his interactions with people, it, he just doesn't do this on a whim and just maybe hoping something get, will get accomplished. You know, sometimes in our life, we kind of wonder, like, what is God doing, right? I mean, why am I going through this? Why am I at this stage? Why am I having this struggle? What, why? And we look at other people and say, well, you know, why do they have the blessings that they have? And we look around. But can you understand today that, you know, God cares about you. And God knows where you are. He knows what stage of life you're in. That's one amazing thing about being a part of a, a church like this. We're all at different stages of life. Many of you watch the babies walk up here, and you know the first thing you thought? I remember those days. And some of you thought, I miss those days. And your husbands thought, man, I'm glad those days are over, right? 
I mean, you know, no more diapers, no more waking up. And then, you know, but we're all at different stages. And that's what makes life, doing life together as a church and living life together, it, it's amazing. Because you know what? My kids are a little older, but I get to come here every day and see babies and interact with them and play with them and send them home to their parents. And it's, it's awesome. And, but I still get that stage of life. And, and then I get to sit down and talk with people that lived a little longer than I've lived and hear the stories of life and learn lessons from them. And man, it's just amazing to be a part of a local church. I, I hope you understand that. But you know, we're all at different stages of life and we're all going through different things. A ain't nothing that you're going through in life has caught God off guard. It, it hasn't. We might think that. But listen, God has a purpose, and He's working all things together for our good. And we should trust in God and praise the Lord for that. And Christ here is purposefully planning His next steps, moving to that next step in His ministry there. Now, it's interesting, though. He says He must needs go through Samaria. Now, the Jews, they did not go through Samaria. I think we have a map. Do we have that map up there? I want you to see the map here, and hopefully you can see it up on the screen there. Jesus was down there somewhere near Jericho. That's where Jerusalem is, just south of Jericho there. And they were ministering down there. And he's going to go from there up to the north, up to Galilee, where you see Big Galilee. Now, an Orthodox Jew in that time, they, they would not walk through and travel north through Samaria. Now, there's two reasons why they would not travel from there straight up to Samaria. You see the straight line that seems to make the most sense to us. But number one, the, the Jews hated the Samarians. They hated the Samarians. So what they would do is they would go over to the Jordan River, cross over to about where Bethany is or a little north where it says Perea, and they would walk along the river on that side of the land. They would walk all the way up to the purple where it says Decapolis, and they'd get up to Galilee, and then they would cross back over, um, and that would be their journey. Now, there's two reasons that maybe they did this trek. The, the main uh, assumption is, is that they hated the Samaritans so much that they would travel around in order to avoid contact with these people. There were ethnic and religious issues between the Jews and the Samaritans. Um, and so back when Assyria had overtaken uh, the northern kingdom there of Samaria and the, the capital there, the Assyrians began to intermarry with the Jews there in that land. And so they would have uh, these, what they would call half-breeds, Samaritans, were half-Jews and half-pagans, uh, basically Gentiles. And then, not only that, but then their religious um, ventures or their religions would begin to merge and you'd have these false uh, religions that would happen. Another reason they say that they would travel along is that when you travel up through Samaria, it's very mountainous and very hilly. And so you, there's a lot of walking up and down. But if you were to travel across the Jordan River, that the land was um, flatter there. And then it was an easier walk when you'd go that, that direction. I don't know which of the two is true. But the Bible tells us that Jesus had a point to go a direction that they normally don't go. And, and he was going to travel through Samaria there. And so look with me in our passage again. It says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, 
give me, give me to drink. We see here not only Jesus, uh, his point to go to Samaria, but we also, I want you to notice, see his humanity. The Bible tells us that Jesus comes there around noontime, the sixth hour of the day. And so he would have been traveling um, up and down the hills and he'd have got to that place and it would be the heat of the day. And the Bible says that he, he wearied. You know, it's interesting. We know that Jesus is God in the flesh. But over and over in Scripture, God wants us to understand the humanity of Christ. Because he wants you to know that he understands where you are in life. And maybe you're tired. Maybe you're having struggles. Christ understood that. And I think that's a very important point, and I didn't want to, to miss that. But whatever his reason for leaving Judea to go to Galilee, we see that Christ had a divine appointment by God, and it was to meet this woman at the well. The second thing we see in our passage in verse 7 to 10 is God's universal love. God's universal love. Look with me again there in verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria... To draw water, Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him. And he would have given the living water. We see God's universal love. God is not concerned with our ethnic background. God is not concerned with our gen gender. God is not concerned even with the depth of our sin. God is not concerned with what others think about you. Here we see in this passage that Jesus comes to a Samaritan woman, and she even knew herself. Listen, why are you talking to me? You're a Jewish man, and I'm a Samaritan woman. We, we don't do that. One, a man to a woman out here, but also, more importantly, the Jews, they do not talk to Samaritans. But Christ wasn't concerned with her ethnic background. He wasn't concerned with her religious background. He wasn't concerned that it was a, she was a woman. But we get the picture in this passage, and we'll learn next week when we come back to this story, that here was a lady that had five husbands and was living in an immoral relationship with a man that was not her husband. I mean, if you, I mean, she is at the depth of sin. Like, th this is a lady that maybe even many of us would, would dare not associate with in our society because we're afraid what people might think about us. You know, it's, it's sad how often we look at people and judge them. You know, we judge people for things that, that they can't control. We judge people for their heritage, their background, family, where they come from. We see it all over our world. Even within the church, we judge people from, you know, who they were born, uh, the, who they were born to and who their parents are. Well, you're not of the, the financial status that my parents are or that we are. And, and we judge people for that. Things that are out of their control. We judge people for where they were born. If you're in the north, you judge people for being in the south. If you're in the south, you judge people for being born in the north. And, I mean, it's amazing how the things that we pick on people to, to judge, Jesus wasn't concerned about any of that. 
He's not concerned with what others think. You know, there's a question, why is this lady coming at the noon of the noontime and the, the heat of the day when the custom would be to come either early in the morning and late in the evening when it was cooler? And the assumption is that she's an outcast. The other ladies would reject her and not want to be associated with her. You know, God is not concerned with what other people think about you. You don't fit in with God because the church people, quote-unquote, accept you, or you're, 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 just, you're moral enough to be a part of the in crowd. God loves you as you are. It's amazing when you think about it. For God so loved the world. God's love is universal. Whether you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you grew up in a Christian home or an unsaved family, whether you've been through some things in life or maybe you've been a little more sheltered, God, God loves you. Whether you're considered an outcast or you fit in, God loves you. And I stand here today praising God that his love is universal. The third thing I want you to see is the world's well. The world's well. Jesus says to her, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask of me to drink. But in verse 11, it says, the woman saith unto him, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and, and his cattle? Here, look at the, the woman's perspective and her perception at this time. And, and it's the same perspective, the same perception that many in our world have today. That they're presented with Jesus. They're presented with the, the opportunity of salvation. And, and they want to they say, wait a minute, you, you don't understand. You can't get water because you don't have anything to draw from. Or she's like, I perceive you're a prophet, but are you really greater? Are you really greater than Jacob? And what she's doing is, is she's looking and seeing with her sight instead of by faith. And that's really what the world's well is all about. Well, we want to, to, we're presented with Jesus, we're presented with the gospel, we're presented with the way of salvation. But you say, wait a minute, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Oh, wait a minute, I, I don't like it that way. And so what happens is, is I want to do something that's going to make sense to me and so so we're going to turn to religion. All right, we're going to be a part of the church and, and we're going to serve and we're going to sacrifice and we're going to light candles and we're going to say prayers and, and we're going to do all these things because that makes sense to me. You see, that's the world's well. It's a religion of works. And we're dropping our bucket into, into a well that eventually is going to dry up. And eventually we're going to drop our bucket down and all, of it's, all, it's, going to be is, all it's going to be is dirt. It's going to be dust. That well, that well might satisfy for a moment. It might make us feel good for a moment because I'm religious and I'm doing something and I'm earning my way to get to heaven, but eventually it's going to fail us because we're going to stand before God and he's going to say, listen, I offered you the water that would cause you never thirst again that gives you life and, and you chose your own way. Many of us are just like this woman. We're presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we make excuses. We second guess. We, we challenge. 
Well, who are you to tell me that I'm a sinner? Who are you to tell me that I need to be saved? Who are you to say that, that this isn't going to work? Listen, it's not me. It's God himself. Before the foundation of the world, he saw fit to offer his son as a sacrifice for our sin. And all those that will turn from their sin and come to Jesus Christ by faith will receive eternal salvation. That, that is not the message of the church. That is the message of God himself. And a church that teaches and preaches anything different is not a church at all. But as we finish up, I want you to see God's well. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Five things I want you to see about this well, about this water that Jesus offers to this woman. The first thing we see is that this water is a gift. Look at verse 10 again. If thou knowest the gift of God... If thou knowest the gift of God and who it is that saith to, get to thee, give me to drink. We see that the, the salvation that Jesus Christ is offering this woman, the salvation that he's offering to you and to me, it's a gift from God. It, it's not of works. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we can strive for and hope to attain one day. But it's simply a gift. We see, number two, that it's living it's living water. He says, Thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. You see, when we drink of this well, when we drink of this well, we receive life. You know, it's a beautiful picture because there's, some, there's a few things that we can't live without as people. Maybe two. Water and air. And the picture is, is if you don't drink water, what happens? You get thirsty, but something worse is going to happen. Eventually, you're going to die. And so we have to have water to, to sustain us physically. And so Christ is giving her this picture. The, the water that I have to offer, it is living water. The Bible, he just told uh, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. The Bible gives us the picture of when you're without Christ, you are spiritually dead and you need life. And Christ is the life. The third thing we'll see is that you never thirst again. He says in verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. When we drink of Christ, it satisfies that need that we have. It gives us life and it satisfies that need. But you know, it's not just that moment. It's just this moment, okay, I have life. I, I do have life. But he goes with me and satisfies me all along the way. So the fourth thing we see about this, well, is it gives eternal life. The only way that we can have eternal life is to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Because our sins are forgiven through Christ. And we are made right in right fellowship with God. And we have life. Not just now, but eternal life. In verse 14, he says there, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him 
shall be in him a well water springing up into everlasting life. See, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we receive life eternal. And then the fifth and final thing I want you to see in verse 15 is Christ is offering this free gift, this life-giving water, but it must be received. No, notice the lady's reaction. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She, she, she didn't say, now listen, you don't know who I am. You really don't understand what I've been through. They haven't even had the conversation about her background yet. Next week we'll see how Christ knew um, her background and her history. But, she, but they hadn't had that conversation. And she doesn't say, well, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. I don't deserve this. She says, please, give it to me. She, she simply had to, had to receive it. It's a free gift being offered by God. You know, many of you have heard the gospel countless times. Many times. And some of you, you've heard the gospel, and yet you haven't received it. You know it. You've heard it, how you're a sinner, and that Christ died on the cross for your sins, and that if you'll turn from your sin and, and by faith trust him, he'll save you from your sin. You've heard that over and over and over again. And yet you sit here and go through religious activity and believe that, okay, I'm here, so I'm good enough. God's satisfied with me because I'm here, and that's all I need to do. Listen, you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it. The church can't do it. You personally have to receive this, Jesus Christ, as your Savior. And this is one of the, the best pictures in the whole Bible when we see this, these chapters and these conversations. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Nicodemus had a personal one-on-one -on -one conversation. This Samaritan woman had a personal one-on-one -on -one conversation. I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ through faith in him. Those sitting around you in this room that have accepted Christ as their Savior, they have a personal relationship. You personally must receive the gift of salvation that God is offering to you. As we come to, to John chapter number four, we see a, a woman that's a lot different than Nicodemus. But, but we see a woman that Jesus loved. We, we see a, a woman that Jesus offered salvation to. The same is true for you.